Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex to be considered before becoming a client of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Securities are offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Annex Wealth Management and HBEC are unaffiliated. This program may contain forward-looking statements which may not come true. Please consult with an advisor about your specific situation. Taking the mystery out of investing with answers to your financial questions. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald from Annex Wealth Management. On WTMJ. Money Talk Annex Wealth Management for Saturday, the 15th. Beautiful day and an auspicious uh, occasion. It really is. It's September 15th, and I can tell you September 15th of 2008 was an ugly day. Here we are, September 15th, 2018. Ten years ago was the day, was probably one of the darkest days that I, I mean, it was the darkest day that I've ever experienced in this business, and that was the day that Lehman Brother failed and when we got to the office that day, Mark, what was happening was really astounding. It was because you're talking about the availability to credit, and that was what was going on. You got to think back to everything that was happening at that time. We had collateralized mortgage obligations. We had certainly banks that were taking mortgages and packaging them together and making derivative investments out of them, very risky types of investments that people were in, a lot of hedging going on, people buying more house than they could afford, a lot of different things in the economy at that point in time. But really, Derek, comes to a head in the fall of 2008 when the availability of credit really starts to dry up. Right. The, the market seized. And, and one of the primary factors there was the exposures of all these financial institutions, the interrelated obligations. No one really knew the magnitude of it. You know, these dark markets, these behind closed doors deals that were done. And frankly, you know, there was a conscious decision on the part of the Federal Reserve and the Treasury Department to allow Lehman Brothers to fail. And that really was, and that's still a conversation that happens. Was that healthy to let them fail or not? Now, most capitalists will say well, that's that's the risk you take from running a business, but that really, to me, started a domino effect across the industry. And there was a failures. And every every Saturday, we'd come into the studio and we talk about banks that failed over the weekend. And no doubt, I remember it was it was FDIC Friday. Every Friday, there was a bank that failed, but. Dave, you'll tell the story. Remember Kramer, the night on Mad Money right. uh, on the 15th when he got on TV and looked right into the teleprompter, and what did he say? Well, I'll tell you what. That, that's, I, think he's, I think he's funny. I think he's entertaining. But I will tell you, that was a reckless thing that he did. He leaned into the camera and said, I am being serious. Listen to me. And he talked about that you should go to the bank and draw the money out. Because you know, if you don't do right. it, you're going to go to the ATM on the 16th or the 17th, and the money's not going to be there. To me, that forced an electronic run on the banks. It was really the fear was unbelievable that was happening that day. And what else was happening is money markets were starting to break the buck. Derek, explain to everybody what that means. Well, typically a money market fund will maintain a, a $1 NAV. Um, so basically the thought is that you can't lose money with an investment in a money market. But at that time, you know, when, when people are pulling cash at a fairly rapid rate and you have to sell into illiquid markets, uh, there can be a, a, a temporary dislocation between the, the asset value of the fund and the underlying asset value of the 
the underlying securities. Uh, so that was obviously another worrisome sign. But fortunately, you know, as a, as a consequence of this, the Federal Reserve acted very aggressively, much more aggressively they, than they had in, in quite some time, and managed to stabilize things, although the, the economy continued to reel for several months thereafter. But it wasn't just the Federal Reserve. You'll remember that people couldn't get lines to credit, and it was the federal government that opened up that repurchase agreements, allowed, there was companies like, as I recall, General Electric, who called the president and said, listen, we're having trouble making payroll. It was really a dark, dark day. But you talk about what the Fed did, and the Fed continues to do 10 years later. Right. I mean, we've talked, you know, often on this show about how the Federal Reserve basically has carried the ball from the market bottom in 2009 until really the last year or so. And, and the fiscal initiatives that have been engineered by the Trump administration and the Congress have added an element of uh, upside to the economy that perhaps wouldn't be there were it not for that fiscal stimulus. We start thinking back 10 years and you think about concepts like TARP, the Troubled Asset Relief Program, and and uh, cash, cash for, for clunkers, junk, cash for junkers, or right. clunkers, or whatever it was. Yeah. But uh, those programs, I mean, yeah, the, I mean, the government stepped in with a lot of companies, and you can debate whether that was the good thing or the bad thing to do. But the walk down memory lane, I think, is important for investors to remember that things like this do happen, and hopefully we never see this again. But we've come a long way in the last ten years in this economy and in these markets. That is true, but I will tell you that talking to lots of clients, those scars you ran bet. deep, and they are still there. So people say, why has this economy been running so long? Well, we can talk about that on the other side of the break because it is really important because it was events that happened 10 years ago that affected thinking. And so when we come back, Derek, we're going to talk about some of the questions that we're hearing from our clients about consensus view earnings and the like, but questions that we get often. Know the difference. You'll see that when you go to AnnexWealth.com. First thing you'll see is know the difference in big letters right underneath. It says get a plan. That's the uh, free portfolio analysis. It's a no obligation look at what you got and where you're going. It's, you know, the Annex Wealth Management way is we're fiduciaries. We do not sell anything. This is just, this is just team and technology and trust that we're talking about on Money Talk uh, Monday. Uh, rather, Monday through Friday is what we do in Elm Grove and our five locations. But on the radio show, we we're talking about Know the Difference and uh, coming up more segments about what happened 10 years ago. Dave Spano is here. So is Derek Felsky, our chief investment officer, and Mark Oswald. Again, Know the Difference at AnnexWealth.com. Money tips that don't cost a thing. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management for the 15th. I find that fascinating, talking about the events of 10 years ago, because I, I remember it happening not at the level you guys experienced. It looked like the world was ending, at least the financial world. It was tough. It really was difficult. And I still say it was the worst day of my career to come in there. And then what happened for the months following that, the Dow closed at 9,500 approximately in September of 2008, continued to fall until March of 2009 when it bottomed in the neighborhood of 6,500 and here we are 26,000 on the Dow today but we're getting a lot of questions today Derek that I think we should uh, we should share with our listeners but uh, one of the questions that we got this week was you know they talk about out of consensus view what is what does that mean when people start asking us that question I think investors are just asking questions about the strength of the economy currently whether a nine-year economic recovery is is long in the tooth 
And, you know, an out-of-consensus view would be a view that is, is not shared by many people. And, and frankly, I think our view at Annex is somewhat out-of-consensus in the sense that we believe that this business cycle has, has more to go than, than most people realize. And that's primarily because of the effects of, of this fiscal initiative and what that can ultimately lead to in terms of capital expenditures, uh, investments to enhance productivity, and the like, Mark. So right now, I mean, we, we all read a lot. We all listen to a lot of different experts around the country. And the consensus is, is that we're late in the game when it comes to both this economic cycle and the upside of the market. The non-consensus or out-of-consensus view might be that we're not so late in the game. No, and the other thing that I've always find interesting about that baseball analogy is some innings last longer than you expect, and some games actually go to extra innings. So, you know, whether we're in the middle innings, the seventh inning, the eighth inning, I'm not really as concerned about that. But what I am interested in is, is what companies are going to do with all the cash that, that those corporate tax cuts and repatriation have allowed. What will they invest their money in? Will they continue just to do buyback stock? Will they actually buy productivity-enhancing technology equipment and the like that can boost productivity, add to the standard of living, and boost GDP going forward? So when you talk about GDP right now, one of the reasons this has continued is you shared a chart with me that shows this recovery versus the ones that we've seen in the past. It, it's probably my favorite favorite chart. When I, you know, when I go in and meet with clients and discuss what our thinking is on the investment committee, I show them the magnitude of this recovery from the bottom in 2009 and compare it to prior uh, business cycles. And this business cycle has been muted, which is a good thing in the sense that it hasn't led to the excesses that cause a very aggressive response from the Federal Reserve, higher interest rates, higher inflation, higher wages. It's been really kind of a Goldilocks environment, not too hot, not too cold, just right for investors. So what we could be looking at is a out-of-consensus view that companies take the money that they're earning from the tax cuts, from repatriation, from all the other things that are going on, and that they get involved in what we would consider capital spending. So greater productivity, stronger corporate profits, a pickup in wages, and, and all those things are positives that could mean that this market could continue to go for longer. But Derek, do you think that the Goldilocks environment is dead? I think it's going to be challenged going forward because what the fiscal initiative did is basically inject morphine into an economy that had already recovered. And to the degree that that leads to higher wage growth and, and somewhat higher inflation, we will see the headwind of higher rates. But we believe that there's time for that, that corporate profits can hold up, the economy can hold up, provided we don't have some sort of geopolitical accident or the Fed overreacts to early signs of, in, of inflation. Well, on inflation, we saw a couple of things this week that I think were important. You saw CPI number that was a little more muted than was expected, maybe even a pullback in inflation from last fall. And then you look at the beige book as well. I mean, some sectors of the country maybe not doing as well, reporting back that maybe things aren't going as well, can't find the right employees and other things like that, that could be a hamper on the economy. If that happens, Derek, does that change the Fed's dot plot for 2019. Well, let's, let's just jump in because that is a question that I have as well, as well as what we can expect as we go into the final quarter of the year. We have more questions for you, so Derek, if you can stick around for one more segment, we appreciate it. Thank you, uh, Dave Spano, Mark Oswald, and Derek Felsky. AnnexWealth.com slash events. That's where you want to go. If you want to get more information on Retirement Roadmap, you don't have to be an Annex client for it. This is amazingly great information. Our next one is October 4th, which is coming up really in a couple of weeks. Uh, it starts at 6 o'clock, and it's at our Delafield location, our Delafield. So you Lake Country listeners, Retirement Roadmap is coming. If you're listening in the Fox Valley, we've got one on the 11th in Appleton. Again, go to AnnexWealth.com slash events and get all the information. It's Annex Wealth Management Money Talk on WTMJ. 
Spreading the wealth every Saturday. Here's more Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, Saturday the 15th. Beautiful day. Thank you for riding along with us. I'm Danny Clayton. Dave Spano is here, Mark Oswald, and Derek Felsky. You sure you guys don't want to talk about fantasy football? Because it was quite a spirited discussion during the break, but it's dot plots, just as interesting. Yeah, the three of, our, the three of us are a little competitive when it comes to anything that we... Uh, Certainly engaging in fantasy football is no exception to that. But, Derek, before the break, we were talking a little bit about inflation, CPI, employment, and what the Fed might do here in 2018. But maybe more importantly, what the expectation is now for what the Fed might do in 2019. Well, it, it, right, in 2018, it looks up like an 82% probability, according to the most recent data, that the Fed will hike rates in September and December. And, and given the recent economic data that we've seen, with the 10-year yield now back approaching 3%, the market's expectation is we'll see two Fed rate hikes in, in 2019. But if you look at what the Fed dot plot suggests, which is basically the view of the members of the FOMC on where they think interest rates will be in 2019, they're looking for four hikes. So I think one of the things investors need to focus on is to what degree the Federal Reserve considers the global economic environment and considers pausing the rate hike cycle. You know, I think that's an excellent point because when you look at what breaks the momentum of a market like we've enjoyed for the last nine and a half years now, it's usually the Fed pushing on something until they get to the point where it breaks something. Talk a little bit about that and, and what we mean when we say the Fed may break this streak. The nice thing about the fiscal initiative is it strengthened the economy to the point where the Fed is now able to try to get to a more normalized level of interest rates relative to inflation. They're nowhere near yet, there yet, which is why we still continue to believe that the Fed's policies are reasonably accommodative. But as they continue to raise rates, that affects other things like the dollar, global interest rates, inflationary expectations, and the like. So, for example, this year we've seen emerging markets go into a bear market, which is a 20% decline from their high. So the Chinese market is very weak. The stock market in Turkey is very weak, South Africa. And to what degree that continues to be a problem is that many of these countries borrowed a lot of money in dollars during the past cycle with interest rates very low. And as the dollar goes up in value, it makes their obligations more expensive. So at some point, if the dollar continues to rise and the Fed continues to hike rates, things could get very ugly in some emerging markets. And that could cause the Fed to say, wait a minute, let's slow down. Because ultimately, the global economy is just that, global. And what goes on in emerging markets can influence the U.S. economic trajectory as well. So that's a really important point is the Fed is going to raise rates as long as the economy is headed in the right direction. Now, the most often asked question, Derek, has been what, is, what do we think is going to be the biggest surprise as we go into the last quarter of the year? And you and I talked a little bit off the air about, you know, everyone's talking about a blue wave. We'll have to see what really happens with elections and how that plays out with the markets. Yeah, right now I think the consensus is that the Dems will take the House and the Republicans will maintain control of the Senate. But if either party is in control of both seats of government, uh, that can lead to sector changes. Certain sectors would benefit certain other sectors would be hard hit. And so we are obviously monitoring the election. But the one thing that I want to point out to investors as, as we close out this part of the show is that the fourth quarter in a midterm election year tends to be a very strong year. There's uncertainty going into it, and there tends to be a relief rally subsequent to it. And that's essentially what we're looking at in terms of positioning our portfolios through year end. The other thing, Derek, we haven't talked about is earnings, and we've wrapped up earnings season for sure. And earnings were fantastic for the second quarter. Now you start to look at what is going to be the comparable, what's the measurement going forward year over year. 
we can't expect to continue to see 22 23% earnings growth on these companies. Well, I, I do think we'll see that in the third quarter and the fourth quarter, but next year in the first quarter when we anniversary the impact right. of these tax cuts, of course earnings growth is going to slow. But the other fundamental backdrop to this, Mark, is it hasn't just been earnings, it's also been revenues. And revenues have been growing in the 7 8% range, and that's, that's a pretty solid number. So next year we'll see more muted growth on a year-over-year basis, but not on the absolute level of earnings. So the most important question, then will the economy and the investment markets, the stock markets, for example, will they continue to move in tandem because that's something we hadn't seen up until this year? There is an old market saw that money follows earnings. As long as earnings are growing, you very rarely have a recession. And it's only when things get excessive, wage growth above 4%, inflation started to, to spike, labor costs starting to uh, exceed expectations, inability to find qualified workers and the like. That's when we have to worry. Obviously, the yield curve is one thing we're focused on, credit spreads is another, and generally the direction of interest rates will be something we'll focus on as well. So those are all things that we're absorbing in our investment committee, and, and you know, for investors, I think that's a lot to digest. I mean, when you when you look at your everyday life and the things that you're doing, and and certainly your work and your family and all that, it, it's important to have that investment committee, and our clients certainly benefit from it. When you start talking about all these things and how they move together and how they're interrelated and what that means, and you mentioned sectors, Derek, and I think that's an important part too, is looking at what sectors are going to do well going forward, given all the things we've talked about today. So. Thank Thank you, Derek, for coming in on this beautiful Saturday morning. I hope we enjoy the rest of the weekend, and I hope number 12 is under center come Sunday against the Vikings. Yeah, we do, too. Thanks, Dave. It's uh, just about news time. I want to encourage you real quick to sign up for our weekly <clears throat> excuse me, weekly newsletter called The Axiom. Uh, I work on that, so you know i got some skin in the game, but you can do that at AnnexWealth.com and sign up for The Axiom. From simple investments to stock advice, back to Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Well, this is going to be a lively conversation. Joining us, Randy Winkler, CFP and Manager Financial Planning Department at Annex Wealth Management. Also, Matt Morrissey, CFP and Associate Wealth Manager. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. I like to find articles and run them by you. I ran one by you, Randy, and I got about three paragraphs back, so I could tell you were a little wired up about it. Well, this is exciting stuff and something that Matt and I talk about a lot. Okay, so. here we go. The Forbes headline said, Stop making 401k contributions. Fill up your HSA first. First, let's define an HSA. HSA stands for health savings account. It's a way that you can save money to help pay for health expenses. You have to have certain types of health insurance in order to qualify for, such as a high deductible health plan. So there's certain things that you would have to talk to your employer about or see what options you have at work first. But it's a way to save money in tax beneficial ways to pay for expenses later. This is not a flexible spending account. That's different. That's correct. Yeah. The main distinguishing feature between those is FSAs, you generally have to get the money out by a certain date. It's a use it or lose it type of plan. With an HSA, you could put money in and either use it right away afterwards for qualified medical expenses, or you could save or invest it for the future and use it down the road. Randy, it seems you can't lose with this thing, right? It reduces your taxable income, and you know you're going to spend it. Yeah, they're fantastic, and they they get confused with the FSA, like you mentioned. Those have kind of a bad reputation because everybody's had the experience in December. You're scrambling for receipts. You're calling the pharmacy to get, get uh, state for what you spend and trying to use up that money. These you can carry with you. You don't pay taxes on the money that goes in. You don't pay taxes on the growth. And you also don't pay taxes when it comes out, as long as it's for a qualified medical expense. What are the limits for an HSA? And then what is it for 401k or IRAs? I think HSA is less, isn't it? 
They're more than IRA. Well, it depends. It depends. Okay. Uh, the that's, family, that's one of your favorite things. Yes, you love to say it depends <laughs> because it always does. So the family maximum for an HSA is $6,900. So that's more than for an IRA. The uh, individual maximum for an HSA is $3,450. So now for a 401k, the maximum that you can put away is $18,500. And with the uh, catch-up, if you're over 50 years old, it's $24,500. There's a $6,000 catch-up when you're over 50. Wouldn't that make it better because you can put in more? No. Uh, well, I, it depends. <laughs> the 401k is tax deferred, but you do pay the taxes later on. They've got a lot of really nice benefits, but they're not as flexible from a tax standpoint as an HSA is. Can you invest in an HSA? Can you direct where it's going to sit and grow? It depends on the plan that you have. Some HSA providers, it's very straightforward. It's really just like a, a bank savings account, and you're just going to get interest on I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what I got, and it's, it seems boring to me. It, I would agree. Right. Um, however, other ones do allow you to have an option to invest a portion of that. Generally, you still have to keep a certain amount in cash. Above that, generally, it's $1,000 or $2,000 that might have to be in cash. On top of that, you can invest it in pre-selected investments that they have, very similar to a 401k, where you're given by your employer pre-selected investments that you can invest that into. I have a real-world example from my life. My wife has an HSA that is contributed to by her employer, and that has to be in a savings-type account. But we were able to open up an investment-type HSA account and then transfer the money over in there so it could be invested, so that a Deposits go into the savings type HSA. We do a transfer and then we invest it in the investment type HSA. This is kind of for me, but hopefully it's for everybody. How do you find an HSA? How do you sh can you shop these things? You have the option to, but it starts with your employer first. So through your health care provider, through them, they're going to give you if you qualify for the the HSA account. Here is what we use. This is where you would have it. It is transportable, so if you leave that employer, go somewhere else, or you retire, you are able to move that money into a different HSA, just like you would move a 401k into an IRA or from one IRA to another IRA. You're able to move it from one to another, and if they have the investment options there, then you can do that. Randy Winkler is here. He's a CFP. So is Matt Morsey. He's also a CFP. So the original headline that caught me said stop making 401k contributions fill up your hsa first so how do we work with them as far as somebody's investment portfolio what, what do we tend to recommend with people well what was interesting about that article and he did make some interesting points but both matt and i disagreed with it okay uh is that he, he's saying that in a 401k you may not you might not live to retirement so you never get to take advantage of it in hsa you're going to have medical expenses so you'll definitely make use of it plus with the triple tax benefits that you have that's better than a 401k but the real clincher in the matter is a lot of times in a 401k you have a company match and that's free money you're not getting free money with the hsa as nice as it is you're probably not getting you may be but you're probably not getting a company match with that correct yeah some employers do give a match or they give you a certain amount just a fixed amount into that hsa it's their way of incentivizing you to take that plan over the other one that's more of a traditional healthcare plan because it's going to be cheaper for your employer so they give that to you so that's one way that you can get that extra cash for employer but that's less common than getting a match from your employer in the 401k. If you're getting free money on money that you're putting in your 401k, that's tough to pass out. We have an advisor here that uses the term voluntary pay cut if you determine that you don't want to be participating in your company's 401k plan and there's a match. Matt, if I could ask, how do you work it? So there's definitely a lot of flexibility when you have these. 
And you kind of want to look at, especially if you're married, what both employers are doing, not only when you just sign up for your health insurance and what is the better insurance plan, what are the costs going to be out of pocket for me from both employers, but also what are the benefits that you get for 401k matches or HSA matches. For instance, my wife works for a company. She gets a match up to a certain dollar amount of 401k. Plus, if she does an HSA, she gets some money there. So it's easy to go, okay, well, if we get this match, let's use that in the 401k, but let's also make sure we're doing the HSA as well, too, so that we get the match there and we can maximize both both of those pockets. And you got little kids, dude, you are going to spend that money. We will eventually. But until then, we're, we're investing as much as we can. And with how great the stock market has been over the last few years, our HSA has grown quite a bit. Um, it's really made it worth it to, to save and invest in it. Randy Winkler, CFP, Manager Financial Planning here at Annex Wealth Management, and Matt Morsey, CFP, Associate Wealth Management. Guys, thank you. Always good. Matt, come back soon, okay? Sounds great. Okay, that's our uh, planning team. They're the ones that when we talk about the free portfolio analysis, that's who works on your stuff. They're really sharp individuals. You can start that at AnnexWealth.com. Watch your investments grow with Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Look who's back. Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development. She is a CFP, she is a CDFA, and she is in the studio. Hey, good to have you here. We're going to talk about women and uh, wealth and finances and all that. That's your beat. We right? are. It is my beat. Thank you, Danny, for having me. It looks like we're still not getting our brains around where males and females are when it comes to finances. And I, Are we talking about couples mostly? We are. So there have been a few surveys out in the last 10 to 12 months or so that really are emphasizing the further need for financial education for women around personal finance and you know here women are more educated actually statistically more accomplished we sit on more boards occupy more executive positions and yet it feels Danny like we're still stuck in the in the past like the 1950s past when it comes to investing and managing money so UBS did this study of about 1700 married couples and recently found out that way over half of married women still leave the investments in long-term planning to their husbands and it's interesting because the broad majority of those, 85% of those women who do that, do it because they believe their husbands know more about finance. I hate to cop to it, but that's kind of our situation between Suzanne and I. But I guess I'm more interested. I might not know more, but I'm more interested. Well, and it is a problem because women live longer, on average, statistically five years longer. And as we've discussed before, the divorce rate in couples over the age of 50 has doubled in the last 20 years. So the chance of a woman experiencing what we call the three Ds, right? Death, divorce, and disability mm. is compounded. So at some point, at least eight out of 10 women who are listening are going to have to handle their finances on their own. You know, when you're going through a transition, one of the last things you want to do is look back at your life and wish that you'd been more involved in financial decisions. But actually, in this UBS study, 60% of widows and divorced women said that they wish they'd been more involved. So what are the steps to getting more involved? You know, it's interesting because we usually see a separation of duties in a household as financial planners. So we may have a couple come in and one of them would be the one who takes care of the day-to-day -day budgeting. We like to call that the CEO of the home, right? <laughs> Then, I know that. Yep. <laughs> right. Yep. And then one of them tends to focus more on the investing and the and the, the long-term goals. Now, I hate to sit here and pick a side, but what we see and what the stats show us are the women tend to be the budgeters and the men tend to be the 
longer-term investors, which is interesting when I say that because we're talking about goals for the household, but really it's women who like to get their arms around the goals. So this kind of confounds me too. I think that if women got more engaged in the financial planning process, they would understand that these buckets of money mean something. It means this is my travel bucket. This is my not just retirement, but spend time with the grandkids bucket. What about matching philosophies? Do you find uh, as you work with clients of Annex Wealth Management that husband and wife will come in and, and one is more aggressive than the other. Does that play into this at all? It definitely plays into it. Only 9% of women on a fidelity study thought they could outperform men in the market. Only 9%. They're also showing that even in couples where the women are breadwinners, they tend to take a back seat in the investing. You and I were talking earlier about money scripts. And just to catch our audience up, a money script is a way that you talk to yourself about money. And usually it comes from when you're really little. So you might have heard your parents talk about money in a certain way. And certainly it's impactful to you if you were raised in a house with household debt or in a situation where no one ever talked about it. Unfortunately, these women are still not getting the education that they need or they're saying they're not in their high school or in their college education too even though women tend to think and plan with a purpose holistically and like to think about those goals unfortunately most of their money scripts have to do around the daughters I'm talking about here was saving in the surveys the women said that their parents would talk about that they should save their money rather than explaining to them and showing them how they can make their money grow for them the end it's my own situation right my parents taught my sister and I to save that was very, very important. But we really didn't talk about investing because I don't know if my parents knew all that much about investing. I don't even know if they had somebody back then. So savings where it starts. Unfortunately, still statistically, women are saving less than men. And what women do tend to save, again, it's more the CDs and more of the, the bank products, which we know have a really hard time keeping up with inflation. So we have a few tips for women in different stages of life to help them with, kind of help them wading through the in the investment and savings and to help themselves financially later on. Good, hit me. Okay, so if you're starting out, you know, really aim toward that 15% putting away to retirement. That does include your employee your employer contribution or the match. Statistically, most women don't save enough to get that match. We always say take the free money. Half of that is about knowing what your benefits are. Don't be afraid to ask. Go into your HR and say, hey, I want to be sure that I'm capitalizing on every cent I can make here for retirement. That's a good thing. And yet, because it's talking about our money, a lot of women tend to shy away from that. Have an emergency fund for rainy days. That's not in your retirement or your IRA. That should be your cash. A lot of times people do keep that in a cash equivalent. But once you get too far north of a certain amount you'd spend, you're just not maximizing your money with today's interest rates and banks. We all know they're still not earning very much. So, you know, work with an investor. Be sure you add beneficiaries to everything, too. Look at when you have debt and when you're young, you sometimes do. Pay down those high interest debts. You know what, Annex, we take a look at debt management through a system. Uh, we have this spreadsheet that shows an avalanche and snowball and how do we pay and then we actually can lay it out for everybody, pay this card or this entity this amount this month, etc., until we're able to cut the interest down and make that work. And kind of as a rule of thumb when you're starting out, by age 30, plan to save about one time salary, by age 40, two times, etc., when you get to mid-career, this is when you really want to save the max in your retirement plan if you can. And if you're already doing that, look to an IRA or a Roth if you can. Um, and you know, here, when, when you hit that, I hate to say middle age, Danny, but look She's at... She's looking right work, at I, me. I, 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 
But work with your partner on your retirement goals. It's important to have a sit down so that you have a, some similar views in retirement. You know, it'd be a real terrible thing if Suzanne comes to you out of nowhere on the day of retirement and said to you, hey, Danny, that's it. I'm buying that antique store and you were ready to get the yacht and sail to Antigua. So have your views aligned as much as you can. That's the part where as you're nearing retirement, that envisioning. Meet with a financial professional. You know, as you're nearing it, there are all these milestones, we say. Determine how and when you're going to claim Social Security. We help people with that every day. Review your estate plan. Ensure all your beneficiaries are up to date. These are all very important things to do. Um, and that's the stuff we do at Annex Wealth Management. You can start at AnnexWealth.com. The difference is team, technology, trust. AnnexWealth.com. Get professional help with your portfolio. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. I'm Danny Clayton. Dave Spano is here. Mandy, we should just make a permanent chair for you. Right, yeah. For, yeah. This is Ask Annex, and you can go to our website, AnnexWealth.com, and just ha find the Ask Annex button, like this person. I've been reading a lot of articles about taxpayers for this year being under-withheld because of tax reform. Does this impact me? How would I know I'm retired, have a pension, Social Security, and have been taking money from my IRA? IRA. I just don't want to have any surprises when I go to file my tax return and pay any penalties. Well, you know, that is a great question, and it's not the only question that we got on this very subject. Uh, it did come through Ask Annex, but I, I asked you about it as well. Is mm -hmm. are, are our clients and our uh, clients in general, are, are people who listen to the show, are they withholding enough? And that is a great question with tax reform, especially if you have a pension. When you have a pension and you elect withholding on a pension, it's all based on tables that the IRS puts out there. IRS adjusted those tables, so it's very possible if you haven't reviewed pension withholding that you may be underwithheld. And what happens if people are not withholding enough? You get a tax bill come April and you have underpayment interest, and that's based on a rate about 4 to 5%. So it's not a huge rate, but it's just more money that you have to pay in that you otherwise wouldn't. Right. Have to. So if you're listening to this, how do how do you go about? And you're not an annex client. Mm -hmm. What would you do? Get the most recent pension statement that you have. See how much withholding you have already, as um, compared to last year. Exactly. Um, tax rates this year for a lot of people are ten or twelve percent, depending on where you fall in tax brackets. So that's a good rule of thumb to see: Am I close to that? And you've got to look at other sources, Social Security being another big one for people. And so they go and say, all right, this is what I withheld last year. This is what I'm withholding this year. If it isn't enough, it's not the end of the world here on September 15th. There's still things that people can do between now and the end of the year. Correct. You've got two quarters left to make estimated tax payments. So third quarter would be due on Monday, September 17th. Otherwise, you've got fourth quarter yet to pay a little bit in to make sure you don't get hit with some underpayment interest come April. Do you think this is going to be a gigantic headache for anybody in your profession? It is, especially if you have somebody who's just a W-2 employee that's been working and hasn't looked at their W-4. That's that file you have on file with your employer. They changed that in February. They changed all the numbers and the calculations that go into that. I don't know if a lot of people have actually pulled theirs out to see, did it change this year? You know what I find interesting is it's just not this subject. 
tax planning is something that we do throughout the year. It's very important. You know, people don't know, Danny, but it's very important. And Mandy, as a certified public accountant, a master's of taxation, a CFP, she has lots of designations, but she does this with our clients throughout the year. Yeah, and it's something that we, not only withholding, but if you've got capital gains, we're getting into the last couple months here. If you've got a taxable account and you've got some capital gains, it's time to look at tax strategies, realizing gains, harvesting losses, Roth conversions, all those things that we go over with our clients. A couple months left. Right. So tax planning is important. It's when you go to a wealth management firm, tax planning, estate planning, investment planning, the financial plan in general, all of this comes together. That's why we like to say, know the difference. Advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Scripps Media Incorporated.